read a new article today. It's entitled The Trinity. Um, and we'll, So we'll go ahead and we'll read this. And again, for those visiting, um, we use this so we know where we came from, basically. So where we can see that we are not just a church that um, came about a few years back and we have new ideas and new creeds and new confessions, but rather we are rooted and attached to the historical church. Um, we've gone through the Nicene Creed to show us an ecumenical creed. And now we're going through a Reformed uh, Confession to show what are our distinctives on um, our beliefs. And so this one is entitled, it's Article 8, titled The Trinity. And it says, In keeping with this truth and word of God, we believe in one God, who is one single essence, in whom there are three persons, really, truly, and eternally distinct, according to their incommunicable properties, namely, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is the cause, origin, and source of all things, visible as well as invisible. The Son is the Word, the wisdom, and the image of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might, proceeding from the Father and the Son. Nevertheless, this distinction does not divide God into three. Since Scripture teaches us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit each has a distinct subsistence, distinguished by characteristics, yet in such a way that these three persons are only one God. It is evident then that the Father is not the Son, that the Son is not the Father, and likewise the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. Nevertheless, these persons thus distinct are neither divided nor fused or mixed together. For the Father did not take on flesh, nor did the Spirit, but only the Son. The Father was never without the Son, nor without the Holy Spirit, since all these are equal from eternity, in one and the same essence. There is neither a first nor a last, for all three are one in truth and power, in goodness and mercy. (coughs) So another long one, uh, but a very good one. If you guys remember when we started this months back in Article 1, we began with uh, the attributes of God, um, things like divine simplicity and things like that. Um, and then we went from Articles 2 through 7, and we went into how we can know this God more clearly. And the way we found that was is through the Scriptures, through special revelation. And so now in Article 8, we look to build upon, um, upon that and return back to the God of Article 1 and to look at what he is like as a Trinitarian God in Articles 8 through 11. And then as creator in Article 12, and then as provider with his providence in Article 13. So the next uh, few chapters or so are all generally concerned about God and who he is. And so the doctrine of the Trinity um, is entirely unique. You don't find this type of God in other religions. It's a major distinguishing factor of Christianity. This one God, who is one in essence and three in person, um, can really be a hard thing to fathom and a very hard thing to articulate. Um, In Psalms 113.1, it says, Who is like the Lord our God? And, of course, the answer is no one. Nothing. Nothing is. He is unique. Only he is like him. And and that then leads into some of the difficulty in taking the biblical data and expressing it rightly and truthfully. And so we're going to look at the wording in this doctrine in the coming weeks— But today, I felt like maybe it would be a 
uh, benefit to go through a brief history of where we got the doctrine of the Trinity from. Um, I was listening to a lecture in preparation for this uh, article this week from Reformed Theological Seminary, and as a side note, that's a great free resource. Um, there's an app, you can download it and just go to lectures, and you have free seminary-level um, historical theology, apologetics, whatever really there. Um, and so I really, um, I use that a lot for, for these things here. But anyway, the professor was doing a historical theology on the Council of Nicaea and on the Trinity as well. And he told a story of a Jehovah's Witness who came to his door, two of them. He invited them in, they talked, and they got to the topic of the Trinity. And as you guys may know, they do not believe in the Trinity. And so they kind of had a, a lively back and forth from how he recounted it. Um, and it finally ended up with one of the Jehovah's Witnesses getting very frustrated, and he said, quote, Constantine invented the Trinity, and you, sir, can go to hell. To which the professor replied, that's not really historically accurate. And sir, you can't really tell me to go there because you do not believe in it. <laughs> they don't believe in hell, in case anybody didn't know that. <laughs> so I thought it would be perhaps of some apologetic benefits um, to give the background of this doctrine before we dive deeply into the said doctrine. Um, and so that we may, as Redemption Hill, the branch of the Redemption Hill, know the roots that we come from, um, to know the foundations we stand upon, which our ancient forefathers laid by the grace of God. And so this will be just a very brief history. So the, to the topic of the Trinity was really the great question of the age until the Council of Nicaea in 325. History shows us that Tertullian was probably the first one to use the term Trinity, and that was around the year 200. But the mere word didn't solve the debate. Um, it never really does. Um, and so some would hold in the ancient church before Nicaea, excuse me, that Jesus was merely adopted by God. At his baptism, when God said, this is my beloved son, God was adopting him there, and that's when Christ became um, this elevated being, but he was just merely adopted. Um, other people say that the second person of the Trinity, though eternal, uh, he only appeared to be a man, but he was not actually a man. He was something else. There was also the belief that there was simply three gods. They'd see, you know, three different beings being called God. They say, let's not try to systematize this. We'll just say there are three different gods, tritheism. There was other beliefs that God is, there's just one God, but he appears in different modes, in different dispensations. In the Old Testament, he was the Father. Then part of the New Testament, he is the Son. And then from there on, he's the Holy Spirit, but it's just one God. And then there was the belief um, that Jesus was God, but he was only a God, a lower God than the Father. Um, and it, it kind of, if you guys are familiar with Mormonism, something along those lines. And this was the view of the man known as Arius. By all accounts, historically, Arius was a very well-liked, kind of a handsome guy, and uh, very popular in his time. But the bishop of Alexandria, where he was, eventually learned that Arius was undermining the teaching that Jesus was really and truly God. He was teaching against this. Um, and his followers had this sort of, you could call it a creed, if you will, where they would say, there was when he, he being Christ, was not. There was when Christ was not. So essentially, Christ had a beginning. Things existed before Christ. To which those standing on the side of orthodoxy would respond, there was not when he was not. 
meaning Jesus is eternal. There was never a before Christ. And so Arius was excommunicated from the church of Alexandria. But being the popular guy that he was, there were many calls to the bishop there to reinstate him. And so the bishop became furious. He denied this. And what it led to was actually literally rioting in the streets. At the time, Constantine then comes, and he's wanting to keep his empire together, and he calls for an ecumenical council to discuss the controversy and to come to an agreement on the truth of God. And this was known as, you guys are probably very familiar, the Council of Nicaea. And there, 220 bishops met, all but seven uh, speaking Greek. And there, Constantine came before all these men, and he gave a moving speech, rousing them to hold to orthodoxy and to hold to harmony within the church and to settle once and for all, what is it that we believe? Who is Christ? Who is the Father? Who is the Spirit? How do these things all work together? And so next week, I want to look at what happened there in the Council of Nicaea. Um, but I'll give a brief spoiler uh, for that. And that was that men at that council, those 220 men, divided amongst themselves. And they were even willing to die literally over one letter. The Greek iota, one letter. Men were willing to die over that. And I think in reflection, that shows how entirely important the doctrine of the Trinity is. And it would be wise of us, I think, to garner our due attention to this topic, not just to say it's too complicated and, and brush it off, but to look at it, wrestle with it, and know because our forefathers literally confessed, both here in the Belgic and before, the doctrine of the Trinity, and they were willing to die over it so that its truth may be preserved and passed on to further generations, which is us.